Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's interview with Michael Saad, CIO at University of Tennessee Medical Center. In this segment, Saad talks about the three primary areas his team focused on in response to COVID-19, why he believes telemedicine has finally reached a turning point in Tennessee, and the vital role analytics has played in guiding executive decision-making. As much as 80% of patient information is unstructured and stored outside of an EMR, Highland Healthcare helps complete the patient record by consolidating and connecting this unstructured content to core clinical systems. With a full suite of content services and enterprise imaging solutions, Highland gives clinicians a single view of all documents and medical images associated with the patient via the EMR, enabling more informed health decisions and improving patient outcomes. Highland Healthcare. See your whole patient. Visit highlandhealthcare.com to learn more. To start, can you give a general overview of the organization, what you have in terms of hospital beds, and then just uh, kind of a high-level look? Yes. So the University of Tennessee Medical Center is a 685-bed hospital. Uh, we have a number of regional health centers and about 55 clinics that we also support. We support the 21 county area in East Tennessee, and we are the region's only level one trauma center and also the only academic medical center in the region. Okay, so in terms of, of where you're located in, in Tennessee, what is, is the status as far as you know, the, the pandemic and what you're seeing at this point? So we are located in Knoxville, Tennessee. And Knoxville, okay. fortunately, has not been hit uh, as hard as, as other parts of the country. I have former colleagues that I, I speak with on a regular basis in Detroit at Henry Ford Health System. And, and obviously, they were one of the epicenters of, of the COVID outbreak. So compared to a Detroit yeah. or a you know, New Orleans or New York, we, we, we have very minimal cases. Okay. That's certainly a good thing. But it, there... it is. For... And... What did your strategy entail as far as any changes that needed to be made in care or, or uh, ramping up mm -hmm. telemedicine, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when this all started, uh, similar to what other health systems did, I don't think any of us really knew how large this pandemic would be for us regionally, right? So you, you saw mm -hmm. the news out of New York, you saw the news out of Detroit, New Orleans, and, and Washington State and some other hot spots. But I, I think all of us were prepared for the worst. And that was absolutely the right thing to do. So what we did, you know, similar to what other hospitals across the country did, is, is we prepared for the worst and, and thought there would be a large influx of patients. So as a result of that, a number of things occurred. In the state of Tennessee, we were ordered by the governor to stop all uh, elective surgeries or non-essential surgeries. So what that allowed us to do is basically shift all hospital operations to focus on only essential care and potential COVID patients. So a couple of things operationally happened as a result of that. The one, we stood up a tent outside. So it was a very, very large tent set up for COVID patient screenings. And uh, essentially what that did was keep patients out of the emergency room. We didn't want patients who thought they had COVID or suspected they had COVID to go into our emergency room and possibly infect others uh, in, in that space. So right. similar to what other hospitals did, we created a large tent outside, made that our screening area where we could test patients uh, and then from there, you know, triage whether or not they were positive or negative and, and go from there. 
So that was a big piece of, of what we focused on. And the other one was is taking a lot of our hospital units throughout the hospital and identifying them as COVID units. So that meant that those were private rooms. Um, in many cases, we set those up as negative pressure rooms. So that from, a, okay. um, from an infectious disease perspective, you know, they were negative pressure. But again, uh, a lot of these decisions were, were frankly made within hours and IT had to quickly respond and adapt and support what we could operationally throughout the hospital and the clinics. Right. So obviously you guys really had a lot going on right from the get-go, but what would you say were your main priorities, kind of um, when it really hit? So I think there was really three distinct things as I look back already, and I know we're still in the midst of this, but as I look back at how this started, there's really three distinct things I think IT focused on. Um, the first one was supporting remote workers. So up to this point, we had just a small group, a small contingent of folks uh, that were working remotely, and it was very easy to support, and they had dedicated systems they had access to. But almost overnight, we had several hundred, if not almost a thousand employees work from home. And that was a huge scramble, as you can imagine, on the IT side. Uh, we had to procure equipment, so folks that, that had desktops in the office, we did not want them taking the desktops home and, and creating logistic issues from a from a inventory perspective. So we yeah, had to quickly sure. procure what we could from a laptop perspective or a mobile device. And of course, we were competing with every other hospital across the country to purchase equipment. Yeah. So that went well, though. I think we got the equipment we needed to support our remote workers. But then it was the connectivity piece. So they're at home. That's great. But do they have access to the systems they need access to? And how do they do that securely? So it was first enabling them to access the systems and really inventorying what systems do you need to have access to and finding a secure way for them to do that. And then from a cybersecurity perspective, you go from just a handful of people accessing the systems remotely to, you know, again, almost a thousand people. That is a, a huge uptake, uh, an uptick in a number of ingress points within the network too. And so there was a right. big cybersecurity push to make sure that we had folks from the outside uh, that the devices that were they were using remotely were secure and that data that was being transferred in and out was secure and we had the proper protocols and, and gates, if you will, in place to help keep things protected and secure. Right, right. And I think the last piece of supporting the remote work was the communication. Anybody who works remote understands that communication is critical to the success of a remote workforce. If people feel disconnected and they cannot communicate with their peers, with their, their management team, that is a recipe for disaster. And so we, we realized up front that communication was critical in the success of this. So we did everything we could to roll out tools that let teams continue to collaborate together, whether that was through you know, Microsoft Teams or through Zoom. Really what we want to do is, is make it feel as though you were virtual, but you were still within just a quick distance of, of anybody you needed to reach out and talk to. Right. Not just interdepartment, but even within the organization. All of our management briefing meetings uh, moved virtual. So you know, directly from our CEO, myself, our chief medical officer, a number of other folks that needed to communicate directly with the entire workforce or with our management teams, we did so using all virtual meetings. Yeah, that, that's a really big change. And I can imagine that at first, you really have to make that extra effort to make sure these communication channels are known and available because it's just not the way that we're used to working, most of us. Exactly. And some of it's education, too. So some people are more intuitive to them and others, they need mm -hmm. a little more hand-holding and education on how to use that. And so that was yeah, trying yeah, to, sure. to work through that as well, right? 
Right, right. Okay. Really a lot went into that whole piece yeah, of uh, supporting remote yes. work. And I think the positive, I mean, there's a number of, of positive things that have come out of this, but that is something we're going to continue to do even when we're past this pandemic. I think there is some measurable productivity gains that we have seen across the board. Mm-hmm. And frankly, some satisfaction from an employee perspective that people like not having to do the commute and like the flexibility of the various uh, work from home hours. So that is yeah. something we're going to continue to do and support going forward. And I think that's a huge, a huge win, if you will, in the healthcare space. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. I think that there really were a lot of misconceptions about remote mm-hmm. work. Pretty outdated, but that was the thinking for so long that you're not really working. <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. Yep. If I can't see you, you're not working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what were some of the other areas of focus for IT? Yeah, I think there's two other areas. The, the second one is telemedicine. So in the state of Tennessee, so we have a state Medicare program, the state did not reimburse for telemedicine prior to COVID. So that really inhibited our rollout of telemedicine. Obviously, if you can't get reimbursed for it, there's not a whole lot of incentive for organizations in the state of Tennessee, healthcare organizations, to really roll it out in mass. So we had talked about it. We had a strategy in place that if and when the state legislator and the private payers ever reimbursed for it, we had a strategy to do that going forward. What clearly we did not anticipate was a pandemic, a global pandemic, that would almost overnight free up the payment structure from both the federal government, the state government, and from the private payers. And so once that barrier was eliminated, we were free to proceed. So we went from really having no telemedicine program to having a working telemedicine program that all the providers were trained on in less than two weeks, which is incredible to stand up a telemedicine, entire telemedicine platform functioning and, you know, working with our billing systems and something that was a satisfier for the patients in less than two weeks. Yeah. We partnered very closely with our chief medical information officer who did a phenomenal job of, of working with the physicians and the IT staff to help roll this out as well. I think that partnership was absolutely critical. And what, were, what would you say are some of the challenges that you ran into just as far as rolling this out in such a quick time? Yeah, I think some of the challenges, again, some of this is just more education. I think some physicians were more adept at using the technology, while others, this was the first time they had seen the technology and were trying to understand how it worked. I think some of it is, it's just a different way to practice medicine, frankly. And some of that mm-hmm. may be more intuitive to providers, while other providers may have struggled a little more at the onset to figure out how to provide care virtually and remotely versus you know, being in the office and not having that touch, if you will, or that that personal care. But I, I think as we continued to roll it out, it became more and more popular, definitely amongst our patients. Uh, the survey results we have received back from our patients have been very, very positive. And again, this is a program we're going to continue to, uh, as long as, as we get reimbursed for it, and it looks like we will now. Uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee announced last week that they will now cover telemedicine in Tennessee indefinitely. So that is, that is fantastic. And that means that, that our patients can get that type of care that they, they need and deserve. Oh, yeah, I, I saw that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that become more of a trend. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, and I think it needs to be. Frankly, I think consumers are going to demand that. They want yeah. to have access yeah. to the providers when they need to. People are raising kids at home or taking care of elderly parents or, or running households. And many other industries have been tailored around consumers. And healthcare has not mm. really done that. And I think this is a great step towards that to allow access to care when the patient wants it and needs it. 
and not necessarily around when the provider can do that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's been talked about for so long and kind of had some starts and stops, but I think that we've certainly reached a, a turning point with telehealth. Yes. Yeah, that's exciting. They really are exciting times we're in. Yeah. Okay. And then what was the last area? The last area was analytics. And I know that's a, a buzzword right now, and it can mean different things to different people. But truly throughout this entire pandemic, the data guided our decisions. And um, the data was absolutely critical as we made decisions as to what units to open or transition to COVID or even to just track where is COVID in the state? Where is it in our 21 county region? How many patients do we have on ventilators and what is our ventilator supply? What about PPE? How are we tracking on PPE? How many days on hand did we have of various pieces of equipment, medical equipment? So it, data became extremely valuable to us as we were uh, in this, and as we continue to be in this pandemic. So analytics really took uh, a step forward, if you will, uh, in a number of areas and helped really, I mean, all the data that was provided was used to, to navigate and to operationalize and run the hospital. Yeah, I heard a quote last week, um, and I think it was something that was quoted back almost 10 years ago now, but it, data is the new oil. And I thought it was an interesting quote because it is very relevant in the fact that a lot of the data is you know, below, below the surface. You do have to mine for it. You have to explore it and bring it up to the surface, and then you have to refine it. But the value, once all that data has been extracted and refined, that data is invaluable. And right. we really found that to be the case throughout this pandemic. I mean, the entire hospital operations was run off of the data that, that IT was mm -hmm. able to extract from various systems. And a lot of those systems really don't talk to each other. And, and that's, that's an issue that we have today and still needs to be dealt with is you know, interconnectivity or the lack thereof for a number of these systems. But we had to pull data from all these disparate systems and bring them into a single usable dashboard. That was something that folks that didn't have an IT background that were in operations could understand, and it was actionable. It was something they could look at the data and take action and make decisions based on what they saw. Right. Yeah, the other piece yeah. is, is automating that too. So it's great if you have data, but if you need to go and say, hey, Michael, I need this report run, or Kate, I need this report run, it's not as usable as when it's automated. So for example, if you get up every morning and at 5 a.m., there is an email in your inbox that has a Tableau dashboard that shows all of our analytics for the last 24 hours and predictive analytics for the next 24 hours. That is much more valuable to you than you having to sit around and say, hey, Michael, Kate, I need this report run. So it's really placing that data in the hands of the individuals that need it when they need it. And that, that's very important. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, Visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.